director of youth. Um, so that, that means I, I direct them to where they have to go. Um, and um, that's my job here at Faith Christian Fellowship. Uh, well, my name is Ruben Amalalo, and um, I direct the youth. So um, uh, if you are a visitor, uh, if you've been here for some time now, we are going through a sermon series in the f- uh, first letter that jo- John wrote. Um, this is not his gospel. This is his letter that he wrote possibly to uh, a church in Ephesus. And what we've titled the sermon series is Faith Foundations. Um, so Pastor JB is initiating us into sort of what he has in mind as far as what is going to be our foundation as a church. Um, and what better book to pick than the book of First John. So today I'll be preaching to you from First uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Um, and in the bulletin... That's a very provocative title to the sermon. Um, I didn't realize how provocative it would be for me to try to prove this point. (laughs) Um, But it's been a challenge and it's been a joy, uh, as it says, how love was made easy. Um, So the main point I have for us today is is this. It's a bit longer uh, than I usually give, but it's simply if you fall asleep, let's say during the sermon, if... You know, someone asks you, what did Reuben get up there, the director of youth, get up there and ramble about for about 30 minutes, hopefully not more? Um, it's this, because Christians believe the testimony of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the command to love is not a burden. It's a mouthful, but let me repeat it. If you're a note taker... Um, The main point I want to drive home at the end of this sermon, if you don't get anything, is this. Because Christians believe the testimony of God that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the command to love is not a burden. Okay. Um, If you are able to rise, please do so. We're going to read the passage. And this is, um, again, the first letter of John, chapter 5. Verses 1 through 12. And this is the word of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the, is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And there are three, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of God, the testimony, I mean, the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater. 
For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let me pray for us. Lord, you're good and your steadfast love endures forever. Lord, you have loved us greatly, yet oftentimes we, we cannot grasp this. It seems elusive. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you do what only you can do best, that you will drive your love into our hearts once again, that we may love you joyfully and obey your commandments as though they weren't a burden. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So last week, Pastor JB began his sermon by asking a very important question. Uh, And he said, what is the one word that you would use to describe God if you were to describe God? And obviously, he was trying to direct us to use the word love, right? Um, God is love. Why? Well, John tells us, as Pastor JB shows us, showed us last week, because God himself is love in his being. And not only that, out of that love, he sends his son to be the propitiation of our sin. That is to to take the wrath of God in our place. And John wants us to know God did this in love. And therefore, we should be motivated to love one another. It's been mentioned a few times in this sermon series that John is dealing with a certain nasty form of teaching that says, You can know God and do nothing about it. Or you can know God and hate. A nasty teaching indeed. So John has said over and over again that if you say, I know God, the natural consequences should be love. Why? Because God himself is love. How can you know God and miss this? In our passage today, John moves from the people who say, I know God, to the people who say, okay, I love God. And John is saying, okay, you love God. What does that mean? Very intelligent commentators uh, disagree about how this, uh, the passage should be divided or how it flows um, or the argument that John is making between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And I agree with those who say the divisions of the chapters sometimes hinder how we understand the passage. It feels like John is having a different train of thought, but he is not. He's actually following what he's already said in chapter 4 verse 20 when he says this. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. Arguing from a lesser love to a greater love, John is trying to get us to reason with him. Reason with me, John says. How can you not love people, but you love God? The imagery is almost laughable. You mean to tell me you you cannot love mere human beings, but you love God? It's like a Charlie Brown sticker that I saw that said, I love humanity in general, but I specifically hate people. C.S. Lewis has said somewhere that we can actually be champions of human rights and love humanity in general, yet hate people. So who do you love? Who do you really love? It has already been said that in this series that John is quite straightforward. He's black and white, right? And I do think John is actually harder for our culture to understand because John is like the SATs before they added the essay part, <laughs> right? There's a multiple choice, and if you don't get any of those, you don't get the option to explain your answer. In a sense, John is actually a true and false guy. He gives you two options. You say you love God. Well, this has to be true about you. Otherwise, you're a liar. <laughs> John is not a multiple choice nor an essay type of guy. He is very straightforward. Now, to say John just wants us to change our attitude about how we feel about one another will be radically mistaken. <laughs> Indeed, John does not think we can change our attitude. He thinks the problem is far deeper than we actually know. What do I mean? John just, he wants us to not only be consistent, he wants us to know how we can be consistent. So John says, if you are going to say you love God, there are certain things you should also know about God. For starters, God loves his children, and so should you. In verse 1, see, in my last year of college, I met this wonderfully beautiful young lady named Golda. If you're wondering, she is a young, beautiful lady. Um, and, you know, in, in the course of kind of getting to know her, I'd I'd come to the conclusion that it would take some time for me to meet her parents. Um, because to go to sister has autism, and for her to in- invite somebody into the- her home, they would have to switch up their whole schedule, and they would have to, you know, they have to do things very differently. And, you know, she, she hardly ever brought friends home because of that reason, because she didn't want to add a lot of pressure to their lives. And also, I knew that they were very traditional folks, so for her to bring a guy home, be a big deal. So imagine my surprise when she finally invites me to meet her folks. I 
rehearse what I was going to say, my first words to the dad, first words to the mom, use your yes please and no thanks, right? I was going to make my mama proud. But imagine my surprise when I get there and all my rehearsal was useless. Why? Because I was okay. Now, why was I okay? Because God is bringing you home. Of course you're okay. They trusted her judgment because she didn't just bring anyone home, let alone a guy. I was no ordinary person, y'all. And John is telling us the children of God are no ordinary people. They have been born of God. And he uses a word and focuses on the part that God does and the passivity of the children of God by saying they have been fathered by God. So God has, has done something for the believer. How dare you not love them? How dare you say you love God? How, how can you? The person who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is no ordinary pe- person. And you should love them. I ask Goda, you know, I kind of while I'm preparing my sermon, sometimes I get to a place where I'm like, I really have nothing else to, to give. So I text her, like, pray for me. Um, just to know that somebody else is thinking about the passage with me sort of helps. And you guys often, a lot of you guys often pray for me when you hear I'm preaching. I really appreciate it because I really literally feel it. So, anyway, so I text her one of these, you know, pray for me's and um, she was like, oh, yeah, I just read this thing that I think would encourage you. So she sent me the wrong thing, actually. Um, and, and it was actually an encouragement. Because, you know, one of the struggles about, so as a preacher, you have to be a priest while, while you're representing the people in front of God, right? But you also have to be a prophet while you're representing God in front of the people, right? You might get stoned, um, and that's, you know, that's the struggle, right? You want to be compassionate and understanding as a priest, but as a prophet, you just, just got to say what the text says. And, and often that's just kind of like the rob. That's, that's the hard part, right? Because you know what you want to say, but should you say it? Would they like you? Anyway, so um, go to sense me this, and, it's, and I, haven't, I haven't read the book, but um, I, I was jolted and encouraged by it. It's not a way to win friends and influence people, but it's encouraging for me, okay? Uh, it's a book by uh, a guy named Scott Sauls, and it's, uh, here's, here's what the description of the book is. It says, the church, love it, don't leave it. The church is chosen, beloved bride of Christ. What does it say about us if the church is good enough for the Father to adopt, the Spirit to inhabit, and Jesus to marry but not good enough for us to join it. 
Ouch. Again, not a way to win friends and influence people, but sometimes we need that reminder, don't we? And John says, how can you say you love God and have hate in your heart for his children? Those whom he has fathered, you're a liar if you do. So what's the alternative? What's the way out of this mess? John says faith. Faith. A faith that considers the commandments of God, not as a burden, but as central to God's plan for the world. John says, And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You see, it is actually impossible to love the children of God if you do not have faith. There's some practical reasons why not, but I'm not going to get into that. But it's impossible to love the children of God if you don't have faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was a Welch, Welch man who, uh, he was a doctor, and he, he be, you know, he later on became a preacher. I, f- I forget the entire story as to why, how he became a preacher, but, you know, he's ministering in, the, in the sort of like 1920s to like, you know, like 1970s or so, and um, he became quite a sensation because he was a dinosaur <laughs> um, in a time where, you know, people were trying to find all types of ways to say certain things to the culture that was, you know, post-World War I and World War II and just jaded about God and all that stuff. He was a total dinosaur, but he was sensational, and people loved him, and, you know, his church was growing. So, you know, that's the case. It's a sensation. So the media always encouraged him to have a debate with agnostics and, and uh, atheists and, you know, just people who don't believe the same thing. Um, you know, because he was drawing a considerable... He's such a... He's like, let's, let's, let's put this guy on a, on a show so that we can see him. So he was frequently invited to these things and he would always decline. And you would think, as a preacher, this is God's work. Why don't you just get up there and prove God right? Yeah, he refused for one reason. And the reason was that he said, they don't believe the same things I do. So it was a waste of their time. Now you would think, right, it sounds ridiculous because he's a medical, he used to be a medical doctor. He should be smart enough to know that. Like, an agnostic and an atheist don't believe the same thing that he does, but... This is, this is uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones telling us a little bit about how, what's running through his mind and why he's confident enough to, to, to deny an opportunity to, to get on a stage, on a big stage with atheists and agnostics and other people of other faith, okay? It says this. this is, uh, and this is him actually speaking about light and darkness. Another part of First John, he says, Let us look at the man who does not love his brother, this unloving kind of person. The world hides itself. There's a superficial charm and manner. There is a superficial culture and chivalry that would conceal this. Yet look at the people's faces and listen to what they say about one another, what they say about a person to whom they have recently been so charming and polite. Look at the sneer on their faces. 
The world is full of this in spite of all its superficiality. Hateful and hating one another, selfishness, greed, jealousy, envy, malice, self-centeredness, these are the characteristics of the life of the world, the state of the being in darkness. If you do not agree, observe the manner of your conversations at work this week. Just do it. Just try to just see what kind of conversations that you and your coworkers are having and see what their view of the world is. They know there's a problem. Yet our solutions are radically different. We all complain about the world and the state that it's in. What is our solution? John says the solution is faith. It sounds, it sounds so simple, yet almost insulting, right? And actually, try it with your coworkers. You might get in trouble, but just try it. It's like, you know, the pastor is preaching on Sunday, he says, like, exercise. The solution to our world problem is faith. But John says this is the way to love. This is our, this is our solution to our messy, unloving world, faith. This is the faith that overcomes the world. This is how the world is going to be changed. People who have been begotten by God, people who have been fathered by God, walking around, seeing themselves as children of God who have not a burden to love. But love as part of their nature because guess what? God is love. And guess what typifies his children? Love. So John says faith is the solution. And then in verse 6 to 12, he goes in on what we are supposed to believe about Jesus. It's kind of confusing because he's throwing out words and connecting them in ways that we just don't understand. Um, and some translations have taken this opportunity to use it to prove the Trinity and all that stuff. And that even makes it more confusing. Um, but John says there are three things, right? The three things that have made our faith solid. The three things that we can rest assured on. And I'll, and I'll explain the three in a bit, but these three things he's saying confirm for us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our own hearts that we are indeed children of God. The first thing he says is the water. We don't have the time um, to get into the details of it, but to find the answer to this, I, you, you, so there are two places. The first is uh, the first chapter of God's, John's gospel. John does not start his gospel by talking about the manger, right? And often in the nativity, a lot of during Advent, we don't focus, we focus on, you know, the, the, that. John doesn't go to that. If you've ever read it, he starts talking about John the Baptist. See, and then the next place to go is Acts chapter 19. Paul gets to uh, Ephesus, 
and it's actually kind of comical. He gets to Ephesus, and the first question he's asking is, hold on, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So the question that of, I mean, we did in Sunday school, the question that we ask is, hold on, how did Paul know that they hadn't received the Holy Spirit? What did Paul observe in their behavior and in the manner in which they are interacting with one another? An interesting note, John is possibly right into this, this region, Ephesus. What is the manner of behavior that confirms for them that they have not received the Holy Spirit? So John says, the water confirms it. Um, and that's because there were people who actually believed that John the Baptist was the one to come. You know, they stopped at John the Baptist. And, Paul, and John is, again, I don't have all the time to get into it, but John is saying, look, even John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, there was a voice that came out that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. How much more clear can it get? Why are you still believing in John the Baptist? Then he talks about the blood. Right? He talks about the water, and then he talks about the blood. What's the blood? Well, there were people in those days, and actually there are Muslims today, who do not believe that Jesus died on a cross. And I think Muhammad met these people while he was actually having his revelations. There are people today who downplay the cross. And John is saying, do not downplay the cross. Do not downplay the thing that God manifested and put on display as his love for the world. How can you love the world if you ignore the cross? How can you? So in our scripture reading, we took a look at Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 14, right? And I encourage you to just, just meditate on that this week. See the agony. See the agony of the Son obeying the Father. Then Jesus says, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is calling us into that kind of relationship with the Father where we would say, not my will, but your will be done. This is how love was made easy, y'all. Jesus became yoke fellers with us. So that at the end, we cannot boast nor brag when we love, but we see him working through us. Because at first, we could not do that. We had no desire to love our enemies. Why? We hate those who hate us. We, we, we give malice for malice. Those who gossip about us, we gossip about them. And John is saying, hold on, you say you know God? And this is, this is common among you? You're a liar. You are a liar. You don't know God. Because you don't love one another. The last thing John says confirms for us that Jesus can be trusted and what he says should be done is the Spirit. It's the Spirit. Now just before I get, just get into you see the Father loving us, the Son pursuing us. The Holy Spirit confirms for us in our hearts that, yes, we are indeed children of God. John says, and this is life. At first, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And that's what we used to walk in. One last thing about Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, and then I'll close. And when you hear someone like that, I don't know what impression you get of him, but you kind of think he's just mean-spirited, and he's just, you know, bashful, and you don't want to get close to a guy like that. But listen to what he says um, about people who are walking in darkness. He says, Christians have come to see the nature of, of sin for what it is. So they look at their fellow men and women. They see people exactly like themselves before their eyes were open, and now they are sorry for them. They see the, the, that poor person behaving like that because he is a victim of sin. They must be sorry for him and pray that he may see himself and know the love of God in Christ and be delivered out of his sin. They begin to love the hateful person instead of hating him. They say, we are all in the same position. And they begin to have an eye of compassion for them. They feel the love of God in their heart, and they want to love him and glorify him. And they know they can glorify God most of all by being men and women, by living as Christ lived, and therefore showing and proving that they are indeed true disciples. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just do it, and you will know that you indeed belong to me. I know everyone is not easy to love. But let me ask you this. Is God doing anything in your heart about it? Is he? My prayer is that the Holy Spirit, even when it's hard to love certain people, through that hardship, confirms for you that, yes, indeed, you are a child of God. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, indeed, you're good. You saw us in our plight, hating each other and being hateful, yet you saw it for what it is, people who are victims of sin. Lord, deliver us from this and open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may love Jesus by loving those who are not lovable. Amen.